It's not a new song, we've only done twice, it's fine. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm not leading it, I'm fine. Is that a, I'm fine? <laughs> fine? No, I just thought it's really fine. funny that we're saying, yeah, it's fine. That's good. Confident. It's good, yeah. Hello. Good to see you. It, it is so true. I feel part of the family. I think it's my third time here, and I really feel like I know you. And um, some of you came to the summit just uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it was good to connect with you again as well and uh, see what we're doing across this great land of Wales. You know, God is moving, and uh, you are a significant church uh, that is going to make an impact in Wales. Do you believe it? And uh, you don't know what's to come for your church, but God knows and he's planned in advance for you. And so it's a privilege to be here. It's always a joy for me just to share where I think God has put on my heart. And uh, I brought today my beautiful assistant with me, who is my husband, Simon. And uh, he, he's been looking after me. We came down last night. We met uh, some pastors in Cardiff. And just enjoyed a meal and sharing what God is doing uh, in their church and again in their area. And that was really exciting. And then we had a 20-minute journey. We stayed over in Pontypool last night. And we had a 20-minute journey. And it was quite nice. There was only one road closed, which was a benefit. Because on the way down from Newtown yesterday, it was a nightmare. Uh, we were traveling through storms and road closures and all kinds of things. So... It's, it's really a blessing to be with you. This morning, I want to look at Exodus 15 with you. Exodus 15. It's an incredible event in the history of God's people. And um, if you're not familiar with it, God has just delivered the Israelites from 400 years in slavery. And they have just literally witnessed the Red Sea opening in front of their eyes. Imagine what that was like. Imagine how that looked. You know, we read these scriptures and we just pass over them like they're the norm. And, but it wasn't the norm and they hadn't seen that happen before. They hadn't seen the, the miraculous work of God in, the, in that manner before. And uh, they obviously, they watched God destroying their enemies right in front of their eyes, and they celebrate with a song in this uh, chapter. And in this song, they talk about the goodness of God. They talk about his power and his might to smite the enemy. And, and in this song, they're on the other side of the trouble, and they're just seeing how good God has been to them. And they're singing this song, and then we start off at verse 22, and it says, after they've celebrated and sang this song of praise, it says, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink because its water was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood, and he threw it in the water, and the water became fit to drink. That's incredible right there. Then it says, there the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them, and he put them to the test. He says, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God, 
And do what is right in his eyes. If you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then it says, then they came to Elim where there was 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. I want to talk to your church today about three things that you can learn in 72 hours. Sounds like a good one. Sounds like a challenge. And the first one is this, that God wants our song to last longer than a meeting. Amen? So imagine this, they arrive at this place called Mara, and it's the first pool of water that they come to in 72 hours. And when they come to it, it's bitter. It's poisonous. They can't drink it. And in verse 24, it says the people grumbled against Moses. And we know that uh, throughout our biblical history, when people grumble against the leader, they're actually grumbling against God because the leader is leading the people where God has ordained them to go. So they're all like concerned and they're saying, what are we to drink? Now, let's be practical. It was a valid question. (laughs) I mean... They'd been 72 hours and they had nothing to drink. And the first pool of water that they come to, they can't drink it. And I was looking into, you know, how much water we need to drink in, in, in certain survivalist uh, situations. And I learned this, that extreme survivalists, think about this. Uh, they can last 12 days without water. Extreme survivalists. Now, uh, you and me, we can just last for three to five days without water. That's you and me. However, in scorching heat in which the Israelites were in, you can literally only last for two to three days. So literally, they're on death's door. And so you can look at that and think, hey, they're on death's door. No wonder they grumbled. But let's not forget, only 72 hours earlier, they were also on death's door. They were facing the Red Sea. The enemy were behind them. And so they're facing the Red Sea. So the death's door facing the Red Sea or death's door facing a pool of water that they can't drink. But 72 hours earlier, they'd watched the goodness of God open the Red Sea. And they'd never seen that experience before. They were on death's door then. 72 hours earlier, they'd seen God drown their enemies right in front of them. 72 hours earlier, they'd sang a song about how good and powerful God is. He's so good. He's so faithful. He's amazing. He drowned our enemies. He rescued us from a cul-de-sac. He took us to a place that was so good. And then 72 hours later, They're standing by this pool of bitter water. And scripture makes it clear. They're not singing songs anymore. They're not praising God anymore. It's amazing what can happen in three days. Have you been in those times when you are in need and God needs, you need him to break through and he he breaks through and you're like, oh Lord. The goodness of God, the goodness of God. And then 72 hours later, you're in a painful situation again. It's like, where's God gone? Where's he gone? I want to know where God is. 
Is he going to rescue me? You see, I've got a question. I want to know, where's the song now? That's what I, that's, when I look at scripture, I want to know 72 hours earlier, they had a song, but 72 hours later, they're not singing a song. They're, they're grumbling against God and they're grumbling against Moses. In chapter 15, verse 2, they sang in their song, the Lord is my strength and he is my song. They declared that. I, I want to know where is that now? 72 hours later, what's changed? In verse 6, earlier, they sang this. They said, your right hand was majestic in power. Is it not now? 72 hours later, is he not majestic in power now? Verse 13, they sing to God and they say, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people that you have redeemed. Now trouble has come. 72 hours later from the previous miracle, can he not still save the people he's redeemed? I want to know where the song is. And when I look at this whole context, you know, I pause and I ask a question. I wonder where their song was birthed from. And then I come to this assumption. It's just an assumption. I wasn't there. I'm not old enough. But was the song birthed from relief or was it birthed from a conviction that God is who he says he is? Was the song birthed from, you know, when you're going through difficulties and, and God brings you through and, and, and he gives you a song and sometimes it's, you know, you, he draws a song out of you and you, you, you start to praise God and, and, and then there comes a, a challenging time and sometimes we don't sing. And I think, you know, when we sing from relief, it will never get us through our bitter moments. But you know, when you sing from a place of conviction that God is mighty to save, it will carry you through your bitter moments. I, I have to ask myself the question, I wonder, I wonder, if they had not grumbled But they'd said, we've got a song. 72 hours earlier, we produced a song with Rob. We we were going for it. I wonder what would have happened to the bitter water if they'd have sang the song they'd learned earlier instead of coming to Moses and saying, what's God going to do for us? Why has he brought us here? I want to know today, where is your song birthed from? Today, when you're singing, where is your song birthed from? Is it, is it birthed from a need and you're saying, I, I can see, I know the goodness of God. But inside you're thinking, I hope he is. Or are you declaring, as Rob said, I'm declaring the goodness of God because it's real and I've seen him 72 hours earlier in my life and I've seen him last year in my life doing some good things and breaking through. His arm is mighty to save and or is it, oh God, I hope, I hope you'll come through because I want to remind you church today, if we can only sing when God has rescued us, it's a song of relief, not a song of conviction. And your song of relief is good. God will have it. He'll be like, I'll take that. I'll take that. That's good. I deserve that. 
But for you as a, as a person to be able to face your challenges and push through into the next season of your life as an individual, but as a church, you've got to have a song that is witnessed in here, not because you've witnessed his goodness by opening the Red Sea, but you've witnessed in here. And no matter what you come across, you've got to witness in here of what God is going to do. And God is good all the time, no matter what you're going through, no matter what season of life that you're in. A song that comes out of relief will not sustain you through bitter experiences. You know, a song on Sunday is is awesome. But a song on Monday morning when the doctor's report comes and it's not as you'd hoped is even better. A song on Sunday is great because we're all together. But a song tomorrow morning when you get up and you're living on your own and you're facing difficult situations, and that's even a better song. That's a better song because that's not a song of relief. That's a song of conviction that you know God will. You know that God can, and he'll come through for you, no matter how the situation seems for you. And you might say, but the Israelites, they were, they were dying. Come on, Denise, they were dying. I want to tell you, as a pastor, I've been in ministry now for 25, about 25 years, full-time in ministry, and I've, I've been at people's deathbeds. I've, I've watched, I've sat and watched people we love in our congregation pass into the next life. I, I've, I've watched that. And I've seen people still having a song in their last hour. And you know, you can say, you know, they're, they're trying to have a, you know, chin up so the family weren't worried about them. No, it, it really isn't that. I've seen that too. I've seen people passing away who, Um, put on a brave face because they don't want their loved ones to worry. I've seen that. But I've seen people die with a song. I've seen people pass into the next life with a song, with a joy, with, with a moment. I mean, we just recently in our church, a lady who's been with us for years, absolutely years, she'd just turned 90. And uh, she were in our nursing home and we knew she were coming to the end and and sized the chaplain at the nursing home. So he went up and some of our elders went up to sit with her in, in the last week or so. And, and, and we'd be like, oh, you know, Lillian, she were called. We, we're going to miss you. We're going to miss you here on earth. You know, it's, even though they, they're going to be with Jesus, we lose here. We lose here. And um, what was interesting, she was telling us off. She was saying, I'm ready for a party. You know, stop worrying about me and don't cry over me. It wasn't put on. That was her reality. You see, she had a song on her deathbed, and I've seen it so many times when people are in their last moments, and we've just read scripture over them, and you see their countenance come alive. They can't even speak. And tears pour down their face because there's a song in their spirit. There's a song in their soul because they know who they have trusted in. And I want to say to you, you know, the psalmist cried out this. He he cried out to God and he said, let me remember my song in the night. 
And I, I just want to say, what is your song? You, you know, I know what my song is in this season of life. I know what my song is. In fact, you sang it earlier, the goodness of God. That's my song in my season right now. And he, he said, I remember my song. He didn't say, I remember that song. I didn't, it didn't say, I remembered a song. He said it was my song. I remembered my song in the night. And you know your song today? It comes from your story. It comes from your story. We all have different stories. We all have different journeys. And we all have our own individual song about the goodness of God. And I want to ask you, what's your song today? What is your song? What's the words that come to, to your heart? When I ask that question, what is it? Is, it? is it the faithfulness of God? Yet right now, you can't even hear him? What's your song? What is that song that's going to take you through your night? Is it the goodness of God when things don't feel that good around you? Is it the healing power of God even though you're struggling physically with pain? What is your song? Because I want to encourage you today as you leave this house that you carry that song in your spirit. And you nurture that song in your spirit. And you sing your song in the night. When everything seems empty. When everything seems silent. You see, God wants us to learn to sing about his strength when we feel completely weak. God wants us to sing about his protection when we're feeling vulnerable. He wants us to declare what is true, not what we're going through. He wants us to sing about his comfort when we are going through a time of grief. He wants us to sing about his provision when we have nothing. What's your song today? You know, the second thing I see is God wants us to see that he's always ahead of the game. Imagine this, that all the people could see was a problem. All they can see was a pool. All they can see was Mara, and they now have acknowledged that the water's bitter. We can't drink it. So that means we're going to die. But I find this incredible. God, God, he plants a thought. It's just a thought in Moses' mind. And he directs Moses' thoughts away from the need onto the solution. But the solution doesn't look like a solution. Verse 25, it says this. Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. It's like, and? <laughs> like, we, we, we're thirsty, we're dying of thirst. You're showing me a piece of wood. God's so clever. God is so clever. I'm glad he doesn't think how we think. I'm glad he doesn't imagine things as we imagine. And so it says this. He threw this piece of wood into the water, and the water became sweet. What we do know about this piece of wood, it wasn't just a little piece of wood. It actually was an old dry tree. So God, he, he gets Moses. We don't know what's said in its fullness but what we know is it says the Lord showed him a piece of wood, but it was a tree. So while the Israelites, they're grumbling about how God has failed them, 
just after he'd done a miracle with the Red Sea, what they didn't know, and I want this to get into your spirit, that God had planted the solution for that problem years in advance. That, that tree God planted, we don't know how many years in advance. But they're just looking at the problem. They're looking at what they haven't got. They're looking at what they need. And God, he'd already gone ahead of them and planted a tree that one day would be dead in front of them that they would need. That's incredible. When God points something out to you, if it doesn't make sense to you, just tune in. (laughs) Just tune in. I've just learned through the the journey of faith. You see, the journey of of just being in the natural is understanding everything God says and understanding everything you see and understanding everything you go through. That's the natural. But God is calling his people to a spiritual encounter with him. He's calling his people, he's calling this church to live at a new level of faith than it's ever lived at, at before. And so when he points out something obscure or random, don't underestimate God's ability to use it for your breakthrough. You know what we do? You know what I do? And I'm learning not to. We would dialogue with God about the tree. I feel like I'm on my own right now. Let's see a show of hands. God says to you, you've got this mega problem. And God says to you, in the answer, see that tree? You go, oh yes, I see it all now, Lord. No, you don't. You go, what about a tree? I don't want to talk to you about a tree. I'm thirsty. My need is water. Don't talk to me about a tree. God says, have a look at that tree. You go, why do I need to look at a tree? And so what we do is we go into dialogue with God about a tree. And he says, check out the tree. And I'm not interested in the tree. I want some water. You see, what it is, is we become so consumed with our want that we miss the miracle that God's trying to bring about to us because we're trying to make it make sense to us. And he brings across our path of piece of wood, which is a dead tree in front of us. And we don't want to know about the dead tree. I don't want to know. You see, my problem is this, and that has no correlation to my solution. So we have a debate with God. But you see, that's because we're operating in the natural. We want to understand it. And sometimes the thing that God brings for our solution to our problem is supernatural. You can't figure it out. Uh, He calls us to obedience to just act and step into what he's calling us to do. So he points out a tree in the middle of the desert. And in verse 35, I want us to understand something. That God only shows him the tree. He doesn't tell him what he needs to do with it. You see, when we read that, we see that God shows him the tree. Moses picks it up, throws it in the water. The water becomes sweet. We're all good. We're all going to live another day. And then we rush it off. But God didn't even give him any description or direction of what to do with the tree. 
Moses decided to do what he did with the piece of wood or the tree. He decided. And, and I thought this. You know what? With Moses, God showed him a tree. But what made him do the right thing with the tree was because Moses had history with God. So Moses knew another piece of wood very uh, familiar to him. He had a staff. And so I think it went like this. You might have something really spiritual on this, but this is what I think. I think he heard God say, check out the piece of wood. He looked at the piece of wood. Maybe, maybe not. He thought, piece of wood? And then he thought, hang on a minute. I've got history with God with a piece of wood. I know that a piece of wood, which is a staff, I know that I, this was used to turn into a serpent in front of Pharaoh to put fear of, of God in him. I know what God can do with a piece of wood. I know that 72 hours earlier, God used this piece of wood, the staff, to open the Red Sea. Oh, I, I, I now understand that God uses pieces of wood in my world. I'm not saying he's going to use a piece of wood with your world, but this is the thing. If Moses didn't have history with God, he couldn't then find the solution to his present situation because God didn't say what to do with the wood. He deduced and came to the conclusion, I think this is what I do with a piece of the wood. I think it went like this. He went, God, wood. Wood, water. Wood, water. I reckon I throw the wood in the water because 72 hours earlier, Wood, water, wood, water, wood, water. Now, I know you want something mega spiritual from me today, but what I'm trying to do is help you see it's not half as complicated as you make it. God is so good. It's so easy with us. And what we do is, is because he's so awesome, we make him hard. And he's like, I want to say to you this morning is, is, is when God shows you something, don't make it complicated. Look to your history of how he operates in your world and put water, wood, water, wood. I might throw the wood in the water. And, and, and remember, it was an act of faith. He had no guarantees. But that it just seemed that that was his history with God. So I'll, I'll check out the wood in the water. And, and if you throw it in, then, and it's still bitter, then still bitter. But we'd be like, oh, but if I throw it in and I look stupid, oh, and I do this and I do that. And I... Don't we? If I go forward to the altar and if I do this and if I do this, oh, just do it. Just throw the wood in the water, for goodness sake. It's interesting when I look at Scripture, the things that seem absurd to us are quite acceptable to God. People filling jars with water in our world doesn't make wine. I've never seen it. But when Jesus instructs it, it does. A man putting spit and mud on a blind man's eyes doesn't help him see. Quite the opposite, actually. But with God, it's like, yeah, that's what I do. Telling a man who has no use for his legs to stand up and pick up his mat. 
It's like, come on, Jesus. That's not what we do. That doesn't happen in our world. It's absurd, but with God, it's his normal. Paul using a piece of cloth to place on a sick man and heal him. Yeah, God's like, I'm good with that. That's, yeah, that's what I do. I do wood and water, and I put them together, and somehow it brings about a miracle that could not be created in the natural. God used Peter's shadow to heal people as he walked by, and, and we're like, what? And God goes, yeah, I can do that too. I, that's what I do. And I've just learned over the years that the, it's very rare you find God in the obvious. I reckon Moses thought, we need water. There's a piece of wood. There's a bit of water. And, and what's interesting, he must have had to uproot it. He goes and he uproots it. He throws it in the water, and the water becomes sweet. And there's this act of faith that all of us need to enter into to see the miraculous, by the way. And the bitter water, this poisonous, undrinkable water, because a piece of wood in God's economy is put in the water, it becomes sweet. It becomes drinkable. This piece of wood saves their bacon. Isaiah 65 says, before they call, before they call, I will answer. I want you to know that God is ahead of the game. And when you face bitter experiences, God's not in shock. I believe for every one of us, there's a tree that's planted somewhere in some manner, whether it's a person or a thing or, or a finance issue. There's a, there's a seed of a tree planted somewhere that you've got a spot and then look back to your history and bring the two together and think God can. And I'm going to try it anyway, whether he does or not. And the last and final thing, I want to share with you that God, he wants to use your bitter times to bring fresh revelation. Verse 26, it says this, there he tested them. And we know that in testing times, what's in us comes out of us, don't we? In your bitter moments, God always knows what he's going to do. I believe that. He might, we might not know what he's going to do, what, how it's going to pan out, but God does. You might not know the answer to your problem right now, but he does. And, and he's, he's, he reveals to us in our bitter times what we really believe, whether we believe God is for us or whether he's against us, whether we think he's trying to harm us or maybe he's trying to minister to us. But what you really believe about God will determine how you respond to God. And for some of you this morning, as you go through challenging times, bitter experiences to you, he, he's there's a testing period within that. Imagine this. They've all just witnessed Moses throw this tree into the bitter pool, which was their only hope for survival. The pool is cleansed of everything poisonous and made sweet for all of them to drink. No one needs to die today. And then God said in verse 26, he, he says this, you'll go far. If you listen carefully to my voice, do what is right in my eyes, pay attention to my commands, for I am the Lord. And then he says this, who heals you. Now, I want you to tune into that. I am the Lord who heals you. In other words, I know what I'm going to do. Just trust me. Before they had this trial of 72 hours, uh, God reveals to the Israelites because of this trial, sorry, God reveals to the Israelites 
there is a healer. We read it and we go, yeah. You know what? In, in, in Israel's history, they'd never heard that God were a healer before that time. We take that for granted. But it was because they went through a 72-hour trial and journey with God that he revealed a revelation that I'm a healer. They'd never heard it before. They didn't know that God was a healer before. And because of this, you and I live off the revelation that God is a healer because they went through bitter moments. Because we look at the Old Testament and there's a history that we can look at of God's goodness, God's faithfulness. God is a healer. We go, yay, is a healer. They didn't know that. And through their bitter moment came a revelation that I'm a God who heals you. God tested Abram. He took his son, uh, Isaac, for a sacrifice. And it's through that test, God revealed himself to Abram as Jehovah Jireh, which means I'm the God who provides. God had never revealed that before that time. But Abraham, he had, on behalf of us, had to go through a trial, a bitter experience, to actually gain the revelation that God provides because he provided a ram. So we live off the benefit of their bitter trials. We have the revelation that God will provide. And some of you, your bitter trials right now the revelation that is going to come out of it is going to feed your family for generations. You see, sometimes we look at our lives and we think, well, it really isn't that significant. It really isn't going to have an impact. But actually, when, what you do in your bitter moments, in your bitter trials, will stand its stead and God will bring revelation about who he is in those moments and they will live on in the generations to come after you. Because they'll be looking at you and they say, they have a story. They have a story of God's goodness. They have a story of God's faithfulness. And they receive the revelation that's passed on from generation to generation. And so what you're going through now, your families can live off. They live off that. Your children, your grandchildren. When we look at this, he led them to the Red Sea just to reveal that he's a rescuer. He led them into the desert to reveal he was a provider. They didn't know that before. He led them to this bitter pool to reveal to them that he's a healer. And they think, I'm going to die here. And God is like, no, I'm going to reveal who I am here. And I want to just come to close with that. Can the band come up, Rob? Are you good? You know, I just think... You, some of you are in painful situations and you're not declaring I'm going to die here, but some days you feel like it. You just think, I'm going to die here. Am I ever going to come through here? Uh, But the word for you today, God is saying to you, no, you're not going to die here. I'm going to reveal who I am here in your life. And I said earlier that the song, The Goodness of God, is, is my song in the, my season that I'm in right now. It's the song that comes from my heart to God. It's the song that in the morning, sometimes I'm singing at the night times, I'm singing. Because it's the truth of my season. 
But you're all in a season. All of you are in a season. Some of you are in good seasons. Some of you are in painful seasons. And, and in this season, can I just speak? And I think the, the word of God is, is take hold of what you know. Sing your song in the tough season. Sing your song in the good season. Your song is going to take you through your marrow moments and your bitter experiences. And sometimes we just want to give up. Sometimes we just think, I'm going to die here. I can't hear God. I, I can't feel God. But I want to tell you, you're not going to die here. It's a word for some of you today. You're not going to die here. God's going to show you and reveal himself to you here. So don't hold on to what God's not going to do, but take hold of what you believe he's going to do. He's going to reveal some things to you. In this marrow moment, he's going to reveal to you there is a healer. He's going to reveal to you there is good. He's going to reveal to you that he's holy. He's going to reveal to you that he's faithful. He's going to reveal to you of your significance in him. He's going to reveal to you in your marrow moment that your identity in him. He's going to reveal to you that he is with you. He's never leave you and never forsake you. You know, he's going to reveal to you, and I can keep going, and he's going to reveal to you his, his closeness to you. He's going to reveal to you that you didn't, you weren't an accident, but he planned you. He, he's going to reveal to you, and in every bitter marrow moment, He wants to reveal to you who he is. And while you look at the bitter pool and wonder when your next drink is going to come, he's saying, just look at me. Look at me. The provider. Let's all stand together as we... You know, for the last 2,000 years, there's been a tree a tree where millions all over the world have found salvation in Jesus Christ. A tree where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was crucified. This bitter tree that our Lord and our Savior hung on. You know, for him, that was his bitter moment. That was bitter on his body. It was bitter on his flesh. It was bitter. And as he hung, sensing physically that bitter moment, it offered a sweet taste to us. In his, in his most bitter moment, we would offer to come to the pool of healing, come to the pool of salvation, come to the pool of love. Come to the pool of acceptance. Taste of this sweet offering of salvation at this old rugged cross. And if you're here for the first time today, maybe you're a guest from the community and you thought you'd just see what's going on in this church that sound like they've got something that you want. Make today a decision day. A day where you say, I I don't fully understand who Jesus is. I I don't fully get who God is. I don't know anything about the Bible. That might be you. But you don't have to know everything about everything. 
and you never will. So give up that one. And just like, if you want to know Jesus today, just while every head is bowed and every eye closed, if you want to know Jesus, you, you want to welcome him into your life, into your world, could you just pop your hand up? Pop your hand up. I, I want to know Jesus. I want to know him. For the first time, I want to know him. I want to know who Jesus is. I want to experience the gift of salvation. I want to experience the gift of forgiveness, a new life and a new destiny in him. I want to know. And then for those who right now you feel that you're going through bitter moments, challenging moments, it's whatever it is to you. I can't describe what it is, only you know. I want you to be pretty courageous and act in faith just like Moses looked at the wood and looked at the water and thought hey maybe this will work I want you to actually come down to the front you look at your bitter moment in, within you and then you look at the front and you go bitter moment the altar for prayer this might work <laughs> this might work then I want you as we begin to sing come to the front I know there's a prayer team that will come and they'll minister to you if you don't want to discuss what your bitter moment is or your challenge that's fine but you can come to the front if you want to keep it confidential that's, that's perfectly fine but come to the front and let people minister to you because I, I just believe that God wants to bring some healing today. He's revealing as a healer in this house today. And he wants to heal you. He wants to heal whatever it is in your life. He's coming to heal people in the house today. So Rob, yeah, leaders, and uh, come forward. Let's minister to you today.